0: Joy, let the people be glad that our God reigns. If you believe that, would you stand with us? That's declared declare it one more time.
1: Everyone, the Lord reigns. The Lord. Reigns.
2: should be in this place because of that truth amen he is in control and no matter what is going on we can rejoice in the fact that he is on the throne amen amen we're going to read from that psalm that that song was taken from psalm 97 the lord reigns let the earth rejoice let the many islands be glad
1: clouds Clouds and and thick darkness darkness
2: surround him. him Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord, for you are the Lord most high
1: over all the earth. You are exalted
2: far above all gods. Let's sing about that
0: truth right now. For thou
2: who reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
3: All to the 40th anniversary of Missions Conference. We had a real terrific service this morning. I don't know how many of you over here this morning. Wasn't, wasn't that a great service? Challenge challenge me. I know it I had to challenge you. And we're looking forward to a great service tonight. And every night this week, we have the Relix from Argentina. We have Richard and Andrea from Camp Bahamas. We have Kim and Mark Wallace from Adventure Learning Center. We have Nicholas and Thompson who are gonna be working with the youth and Camp Bahamas. And we have Lauren, Lauren Green. There she is. Good to see you. And um, we had a great time. Looking forward to having a great night tonight. And want to welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask Richard to come and open us in prayer now. Thank you. Father, we come before you in your presence tonight,
4: and we uh, we thank you first of all for the opportunity that we have to even meet together for a week like this and discuss further in your kingdom. <laughs> We thank you for the awesome privilege that we have that you let us participate in that. Father, I pray tonight that your hand will be on the service tonight and all the words that uh, Pastor O'Neill brings to us and that uh, you'll open our hearts to be receptive to your word, uh, help our minds be willing to hear and our hearts be willing to obey. And Father, I just pray for anyone here, Father, that you want to put your finger on, to call into your ministry, to go and represent your son, Jesus Christ, that this conference will be a time and place that that happens. We thank you again for just the uh, awesome privilege of being able to serve you and participate in the advancement of your son's kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: One apology. I forgot Mr. Eddie and Eunice Pinder. Sunlight Boat Ministry, now without a boat, but still a terrific ministry. Welcome. To have, good to have them here too.
5: On one side of Camp Bahamas property. This is actually the western side of Eleuthera. As you can see out here, this is Marion's Bay, which is going to be the future site of a lot of things going on at Camp Bahamas.
4: Yeah, but what's going on over here is we're going to have the Eventually, they have the docks for Camp Bahamas with the boats and water sports to be going on out here on this side. So, if you can invite, then on this side over here, this is where we're going to have the uh, the mission complex where mission teams will be staying, and that'll be built in this area behind me over here. This property runs twenty-three acres. It's literally three hundred feet wide and runs thirty-eight hundred feet that way.
5: Come and see with us what God is doing at Camp Bahamas first thing that you come to on the Camp Bahamas property is this awesome paintball field.
4: This, this is where it happens to be the, camping. Camping. the oh, yeah. It's a great time for a team to bond together and learn how to work together. And right now the field is in disarray. Hurricane yeah. Irene came through did a lot of damage. So right now mission teams are coming in and we're going to mm-hmm. redo the trails, redo the paths, rebuild the forts, take out all the dead trees, right. and make this place look brand new again. After you leave the paintball field, we're going to head down to the next thing you come up to and that is a newly under construction ball field. Come with us as we go down there, the tractor's working yeah. right now. Let's go see what they're doing.
0: Right, it's exciting.
5: let's go. Okay, so this field is gonna be used for any sport you can think of that's a land sport, from football down to uh, kickball or anything. anything. Soccer,
4: baseball, right. softball. This will be the multi-purpose field for Camp Wilhelms. And this will allow us to have many uses of ministry for communities for sports outreaches yep. and for anything else you can think of all year long this right? makes our ministry even grow even better
5: here we are at the most amazing view on all of camp bahamas property look at this this is our zip line tower i think we have the only double line zip line in all of the caribbean campers come out there and have the time of their life flying down the zip line uh, how far is it 300, 300 feet? feet amazing
4: where the tractor is right now, that is actually where the vehicle maintenance and sheds will be going over there. So all the, all the buses you see on that side will actually be moved over to this side, and the sand volleyball course will be where the
1: buses are. You can
5: see the field behind it uh, from this point. It looks super awesome. And you can even see the amazing uh, view in the distance of the ocean. This area here is going to be the future site of our pool complex. Why don't you explain a little bit about what's going to be down there?
4: Well, what would we can't be without a swimming pool? Of course, you have the ocean, but right now, uh, when you have a swimming pool, it increases your ministry even further. You want to host swim meets, you want to host uh, teach people how to swim. it will have like trapeze swings and all kind of slides and, a and everything. A blob. A blob as well. Yes, it will. So uh, this just gives you a whole new look at the property. Where we're standing right now is actually where the director's house is going to be going. We'll hopefully be we starting that this year. And as you can see, this gives you a central location for the property, so that way you have your hands on everything that's going on in the property and you know exactly what's happening, which is very important when you're the director of Camp Bahamas.
5: Let's go see what progress has been done on this main building throughout this past year.
4: Last year, there was nothing here, just dirt, and we were getting ready to pour the slab. Since then we have poured the concrete slab, we have erected the building, the 70 by 100 building, 7,000 square foot gymnasium.
5: Then here we have our stage for all of our nightly meetings at Camp Bahamas where we do some awesome praise and worship and Richard gets into the word and we just excite Bahamian teenagers to get so passionate about their walk with Jesus.
4: The next step for this building is putting the gym floor in and that's huge step. It costs a lot to do that and also get air conditioning put in here and then we're ready to go.
5: Right. So a lot of you know Hurricane Irene. I mean, we were all praying and our supporters were praying and our campers were praying God like spare Camp Bahamas and he did because this building was untouched. We had like a teeny tiny little bit of a bending of the metal on the outside, and maybe a little tiny bit of damage to some insulation, but beyond that, it's 100% protected. So this is here to stay, and praise the Lord for that.
4: It's actually going to be a huge asset in addition to Camp Bahamas. This will they must do our own basketball in, inside our own gym, uh, indoor volleyball, indoor soccer, indoor tennis. All these things can happen inside this building. So camp will have a whole new dimension because of this. So not only be a gymnasium for sports, will actually have a rock climbing wall. It just teaches them that they can do things beyond themselves that they don't think they could do. And so this whole gym will be an active, breathing part of Camp Bahamas. And besides the camp aspect, this will enable us to reach out to the island of Eleuthera, yes. also Bahamas, to, to host sporting events, basketball, volleyball. Teams will come and stand the property. They'll have an opportunity to play in a fantastic new gymnasium and also hear about the Word of God while they're here. So this will increase the ministry of Camp Bahamas so much more than it is right now so we're looking forward to having you guys be part of this and uh, what guys do to camp Mahamas.
5: okay now that you've seen this amazing gymnatorium we're gonna take you down the hill right to where our cabins are where our campers stay it's an amazing view it's an amazing spot we can't wait to take you there let's go
4: We're standing right now in front of one of our six single cabins these sleep over 12 people per cabin with running water showers toilets and air, air conditioning which is very important mission teams stay here right now and that's important because the mission teams have been actually built these cabins mm-hmm. and all the stuff that you see on this property has been mainly done by mission teams uh, the cabins the rock paths the septic tanks the, the structures you will all see mm-hmm. and from here we go out into the communities in the afternoons and they do Vacation Bible School, they do sports outreaches.
5: A lot of the ministry that's done through PBS, through our mission teams, really prepares the hearts of these children that live in Eleuthera, come through the discipling process of Vacation Bible School. When they come into camp, they are ready to hear God's word and to really make deep commitments for the Lord. Okay, so we're going to go right now to some of our double cabins, come with us. So one year ago, Richard and I stood here on what was just a
4: platform. And you can see the roof is going in right now, all the electrical wire is done, the plumbing is being done right now. Um, we actually have air conditioning going in here tomorrow, mm-hmm. and um, the tile will be coming in next week, so this will be all tile be completed. Uh, right. Let's go to the bathroom area, and I'll share what's going on here. Right here is going to be three showers, yeah. and um, so these are actually the stalls that are being put in right now, and behind you are three. It, so there will be three toilets in here, three showers, and the sink will be over here by the window. So this will actually house 15 this side and 15 mm-hmm. over there. Let's go to the other double cabin and see what happened over
1: there.
4: The cabin behind me, the orange cabin, was actually our temporary kitchen dining hall. That's where the, the, uh, the teams would eat uh, meals together. So this year we put up the double cabin here. And this is actually going to be the future home of two cabins, but right now it's our Temporary kitchen dining hall, it'll see up to 60 to 70 people in here. Uh, it's fully air conditioned, fully uh, all all is installed, and the pile is in. Fixtures, all the finishes, all done, and it looks really nice. So, come to the kitchen and show you what we've got going on in there. So, since last year, we've actually installed a temporary makeshift kitchen which will serve our purpose for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kitchen has two, two stoves, it's got the sink, it's got hot water, it's got anything you want.
5: We've already served a, a team of 70. So, it's just awesome being able to cook and feed our mission teams right from this facility.
4: Now that you've seen what God's doing at Camp Bahamas, but we want you to get a bigger glimpse of what God did this past summer, 2011, yeah. in the hearts of Bahamian youth. So, for those of you that helped support teenagers that could not afford to go to camp, we want to thank you personally. We had almost 120 scholarships that we supported uh, Bahamian youth that could not afford to go to camp because of your help.
5: All right, so why don't you take a look now at what happened this past summer at Camp Bahamas?
6: has been trying to get me to come to Camp Palmas for three years, but I always said no because I thought it was like a boring camp, no fun. The devotional, it was just amazing because it really changed my mind. All the rides and stuff were really fun. The praise and worship is the best. When Richard talked about sin. I never knew sin was such a dangerous thing. I always thought that you could just pray about it and it would be gone. You could just keep doing it. But Richard just said that if you keep sinning, sin brings death. And that just really touched me a lot. I was so different before, but now I'm changed in God. I just thank him. Bombs.
2: When I came to Camp Bahamas, I didn't even believe there even was a God anymore. But like all the bad habits I picked up, all the stuff I was doing. When I came to Camp Bahamas, I actually I, I, I actually said that um, all the stuff that I'm doing is like, it can't really fill the emptiness in my life. And then last week when I came to Camp Bahamas, I got saved.
1: Let us try.
0: be your anthem.
2: I've been going to Camp Bahamas for like five five or six years, and the, camp, the, the counselors were here, they were encouraging me, they were pushing me to, get, to have a relationship with God. I, I, I started to understand that what they were doing was actually trying to give me life and trying to encourage me to have a relationship with God. And um, I've been a, a, a counselor for two years now. And it's just great to see from the other side that you can actually invest in kids' lives and see the change in kids' lives. That they come here, they they, they first think, you know, think think a certain way, but then when they leave from here, they have a whole different view about God. And you know, you got your teams, you have the, you have staff, and everybody just working the one for one purpose so that the kids can know Jesus. So I've really seen these kids growing to know God more and more. So that's that's an amazing
1: thing. So open nothing here is hidden you
4: all a one diesel. Cap is the main ministry of Camp sure, Mama's. Yeah. But then we also have mission teams that happen all throughout the year. Right. We have a discipleship school, which we're wanting to start this year. This is where our Bahamian youth can actually come and stay on Camp Mama's property sure. throughout the year and be discipled get a foundation for their, their belief in Christ and what it means to be a Christian and to know why they believe what they believe, rather than just saying they're a Christian and not having a clue as to why they say they are. To get this kicked off, the very last week of camp this year is called CB Extreme. Right. This is camp beyond camp. This is where they do the camp activities, but the older teenagers from 16 and up will actually be able to be part of a discipleship program the week they're here. So we're kind of introducing them to what CB Discipleship School will look like mm-hmm. and give them a taste for that. Because we have so many teenagers that ask us, when are you going to start that? Yeah. Well we're going to start it this year. As well as that we have conferences we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to do singles, couples, marriage conferences. We'll also host retreats. This is where our Bahamian youth come throughout the year, be here for like their Easter break, their fall break, their their spring break and actually come to camp and be discipled while they're here right. for that period of time while having a blast on the Camp Mahalmas property. We'll see you at Camp Bahamas.
0: Almighty God of love, be welcome in this place
4: A lot's happened in a year. A lot of good things. You all wake. Oh. Represent. That's right. That's my campers up there. I won't start calling names. I'm sure someone will get offended. You didn't call my name. I see a camp shirt up there. I like that. Is that Jade? Way to go. All right. Um, anyway, I love what I do. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. And I just feel uh, privileged that God has allowed me to be a part of this ministry and to be a part of the process of changing uh, teenagers' lives and discipling them into uh, a growing relationship with Christ. And um, you can't put a price tag on this kind of stuff. And uh, the amount of money that you see is represented the building and the development of camp is nothing compared to what you just heard a teenager say. When they come into in the camp in darkness... And they leave in light and there's a son of, child, uh, son of God or daughter of God. And um, if we just did that and left it there, we would be failing. Because part of the Great Commission is to go make disciples. And if we're not just going to win them over from the dark side and leave them where they are, they're going to get torn to pieces and uh, fall right back where they were before and be worse off than they were. And so for us, the ministry of Camp Walmart has to evolve into something more than it has been. We've grown the last so our 10th year anniversary coming up this year. Uh, last three years, we've had almost 400 campers every year. And God is just growing the ministry tremendously. But it's got to go to the next step. The next step has to be discipleship, where teenagers can come, and they can learn why they believe what they believe, and they could become the type of teenager that God could send out somewhere— And who knows, like we were talking this morning, this could be a sending nation. And I would love to be a part of that. And uh, so this year we're introducing in the the last week of camp. We're running five weeks this year. And the last week is for 16 and up. And this is called CB Extreme. This is where it'll be some of the camp activities, of course, but it'll be more of a discipleship feel where they get a a taste of what it's like to be involved in discipleship and mentoring. And uh, it's for the older teenagers as they come through camp and they they get on fire for God and they want more. Um, some of our youth go away to college or go away to university, and they don't have a full grasp of why they are a Christian. They know that they are, but they don't understand why. And they get into these secular colleges and secular universities and these secular teachers, and their faith gets challenged, and they don't know what to do, what to say. They get discouraged and end up turning, some of them turning away from the faith and becoming agnostics. And uh, so we want to uh, equip our youth to where they could actually be a light in the dark world. they can be salt in this world. And they can know why they believe what they believe and be able to hold their ground and stand up to the, the world out there and uh, be a light and be salt. Um, that a little bit. Yeah. No. Um, The discipleship school. I can't do this all myself. It's just too much to do. And we've always prayed um, that God would bring people involved in Camp Mama's ministry to help us move it further ahead. Um, and part of this is um, getting couples involved that are, are growing uh, together and uh, have been involved in ministry and are maturing their faith and are able to disciple teenagers. And um, through a turn of events over the last couple of years, um, Nicholson and Tampson are now coming on board uh, this year with Camp Bahamas, and they'll be sharing tomorrow night as to what God's done in their hearts and their lives the last couple uh, years here. And uh, it's gonna be a great addition to camp. And uh, so I think uh, we're gonna be courting this year and. Uh, testing the waters out and seeing how the fit goes, and I'm not really worried about it. But, you know, I, I think uh, it's great to have uh, a team on board now that we can start looking at discipleship, what it looks like, how you put the program together, what do you teach, what do you not teach, all these things, there's so much stuff out there, and how we narrow that down to what they need to hear. And so uh, we're happy to have mixed attempts on board. You'll be hearing more about that this uh, tomorrow night. So come on out and hear them. Uh, the flyers, uh, this is not the official flyer, the printing company didn't get it done in time, as usual. Um, it's just smaller. It's just a little smaller version. It's like a little, little mini-me version. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we have some out here for you if you want to get the hot off the press first copy. And, of course, everything we do is loud and proud, and so you can't miss this. And um, it has all the information you need on here, um, email, phone numbers, uh, information, cost, everything uh, that you need to know. Um, this whole concept of missions is about investing. Uh, whether you invest in the missions program or you invest in people's lives. I don't ever look at it as you're just paying to send your teenager to camp. You should always look at this as you are investing in the life of your teenager and uh, or the life of another teenager. Last year we had the opportunity to have over 120 scholarships of local uh, Lutheran children, um, Teenage. teenagers, and the uh, uh, Nassau teenagers come to camp that would never have been able to afford to go to camp. And this is done because people like you saw the need and said, I want to sponsor a child or a youth to come to camp. And so we had 120 come last summer that was because of donations. Mm-hmm. And um, believe me, you don't make money doing camp. So if, uh, if you don't know that by now, something's wrong. Um, so pray for us as we move forward. Um, I'm sure you have something you want to say. It'd be very rare for you not to say something.
5: I just did the video, I didn't it's all over. Okay. Um, well, I just want to say two things. <laughs> Um, One thing about the discipleship part of Camp Bahamas is um, you've all heard of Facebook. And I know some of the older ones of us don't have Facebook. We're like, we don't understand the computer. But um, I know our young people have computers, and they have Facebook. And so Richard has um, a Camp Bahamas Facebook. And every single day, I would say four, five, six teenagers try to instant message him or write him a letter and just say, I'm struggling, like... All these people from camp, man, they're struggling. We need to have, you know, a reunion. We need to get together. We need to like remind ourselves of what we're doing because, you know, this person has gone away from the Lord, or this person went to college and they're struggling. And I mean, it breaks our heart. So, you know, we'd love to hold camp 52 weeks out of the year, but since we can't, we get them excited, and then we just have to follow up. So we have a a follow-up program, but it's a lot of campers—400 campers. So um, I just wanted to just uh, encourage you to pray for this need uh, through Camp Bahamas, this discipleship need, getting the proper devotional materials in the hands of our teenagers. Not every camper goes to Calvary Bible. Not every camper goes to a church that has a dynamic youth ministry or a youth pastor that's, like, checking on them, or not all of them come from a Christian home with mom and dad and the encouragement to just grow. So that's where Camp Bahamas tries to fill those gaps in and get, get them, um, you know, shuffled out to people that can mentor them. So... I don't want to minimize the fact that Nicholas and Tamson Rogers have expressed this desire and this um calling to Come on board and help us, because it has been a desperate uh, cry of our heart as a prayer request that God would send a family to Camp Bahamas, where um, uh, the the man of the family is feels called and burdened for the youth of the Bahamas and has a vision and a desire and integrity, and um, that's what Nicholas and Tamson definitely are people of integrity. So it's a huge answer to prayer, and um, we're so excited. So please support them tomorrow night when they uh, share and. Um, So I think you heard everything else in the video, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's it.
5: So we love you campers. That's
1: it. it. Um, What is your biggest
2: challenge with um, Camp Bahamas? I saw you have a lot of good stuff going on there, but I know in ministry there are a lot of challenges you go through so you could share so we can know how to pray for the challenges that you face um, in your ministry.
4: Well, I guess I went to seminary to become a contractor um, because I've been in construction mode now for the last five years. And um, a big challenge for us is to get out of this construction mode where we could actually start investing our time 100% into the lives of Bahamian youth, not having to worry about materials and shipments and uh, building and this and that. I'd like to get that finished and out of the way. Um, That is also a huge financial drain on the uh, ministry uh, because it costs a lot to keep a work crew going. Um, It's not just all mission teams that can build certain things. You need some skilled labor as well. And so, uh, you know, mission teams can only keep things going for so long. And so it's a big financial drain. If, the, if we weren't in construction mode all the time, the ministry would very easily support itself. Um, we have enough mission teams come out every year, and um, it would be not a problem. But right now, we've been in this mode for so long, everything just comes in and goes out immediately. And um, so it's, it's hard to stay in that because you have to – I guess God keeps you in, your face to the ground because you have to be in constant faith. And prayer that God's can provide as you keep moving forward, because um, you're at certain places in the construction where you can't just stop, and you know we'll just wait because things will get damaged. And uh, the steel building, luckily, you know prayerfully, I don't believe prayerfully made it through the hurricane. Um, it could have been very much destroyed, uh, but we weren't able to finish it and close it off in time before the hurricane came. Uh, and God spared it, and um, we. I was telling Pastor Neal we had about 40 windows. Out there in the property and you know eight to ten doors with glass in them we did not have the money to put up storm shutters so everything was left open I mean as far as like no no covering and uh, not one pane got cracked or damaged through the whole hurricane and stuff was just flying around there like crazy so it just shows that God's hand is on this and it's stressful at times and it just teaches us to remain close to God and follow him and you know it's his ministry and if he wants to Keep the money in there so we keep moving forward. He'll do that, and if not, we'll just have to learn to be patient and wait. And he'll raise up the whatever he wants.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just say, as his wife, uh, there's lots of dis- of discouraging moments that he doesn't share, um, almost on a daily basis. Satan is very, very against Camp Bahamas, and he tries to discourage him through financial need and the pressure that sometimes you feel for that, and also through maybe a camper that is not living for the Lord, and they've been through camp three years, and you're just, like, burdened, and you're just like, God, is this ministry, you know, is this, are we doing it right? So, you know, you can feel a lot of pressure at times, but he he feels it, but then he surrenders it to the Lord, and he keeps going. So.
7: wondered about the price, Richard, per week.
4: Okay, for, um, for the last nine years, we've kept the price the same. It was $2.99 for the week, and that includes transportation on the fast ferry. Um, we are a very high-activity based camp, and so it requires a lot of maintenance, a lot of uh, fuel, and uh, feeding that many people is expensive. This year, we had to increase it by $20. I know, it's terrible. Um, but the rent went up in uh, the facility we use right now, and so we've had to increase it from $2.99 to $3.19 um, to help cover some of that cost, um, so it's you know we try to keep it as low as possible, and by still and still be able to provide it at a reasonable price. So, but if you if you're providing a scholarship for an Aluthra teenager, it takes out the cost of the fast ferry, and so it, it's it's less. So.
1: I know
3: the answer, but a lot of them don't know. You need a kitchen attached to that big building before you can operate there as a full camp, right?
4: Eventually, yeah. You have to have one.
3: What would it take to put that kitchen there?
4: Uh, the kitchen facility would, to finish it off with the right kitchen and all the stuff you need in there, would probably be between 300 and 350000 Gymnatorium. 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 It's fancy.
2: And I'm thankful for my space here. I'm parsley. Um, I just came in lately, but I'm, I'm I'm happy for the information I've got so far. As a twister, our country is plagued a lot with crime. I see JC Sweeten down there. Um, what kind of program or idea you could assist with the young people that are incarcerated at Majesty's
6: Prison. And so we're so glad to have him here tonight. So he has an interest in trying to reach the prisoners. So put it in that context. Sir. Well,
4: I mean, the reality is that I've been informed that we actually have a few former campers from years ago who grew up in one of the orphanages here, who actually are incarcerated in the prison for various crimes. And so that kind of information just tears you apart because you you, you know the reality of the life in Nassau sometimes, and the temptations that are out there, and they make bad decisions, and they end up and, end up in the uh, the prison. Um, I guess for me, I I work closely with Carlos Reed, who works at the Youth Against Violence Program. Um, He's a lot more skilled than I am in that area. Um, I I, I would like to come up with a way to be more involved to help out in that area you have up there. Um, There again, being only one person, you can only spread yourself so thin, and maybe part of the Disappreciate Program is training someone that could actually be a part of that ministry to go in there and help reach those boys and girls that are incarcerated. And um, I don't have much of a hope right now. And so, um, you know, I could see that being as an, a, a, an ability to program and disciple somebody to do that. Because um, I know, I don't know if I, if even though I'm equipped to do that right now, um, I'd like to talk to you maybe in the future and c- maybe see what we can do. Because um, that's a specialty, you know, that's a, that's a specialty. And you got to know what you're doing when you go in a situation like that. And, uh, but I, I understand it's a need, and I would like to be part of that as well.
6: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Brother David, time for the offering.
4: We actually have a team that arrived today at camp to work this week and to help uh, minister on the island. So we actually have to be leaving um, to, tomorrow morning to leave. So, <laughs> This is like the million dollar question. Um, I would love to tell you yes, for sure. Um, with God, all things are possible. Um, I'm not 100% sure it's gonna happen, but I know we'll be doing a lot more activities in the property than we did this last year. Um, but you never know, you never know what's gonna happen. Um, we're close, we're close. So keep praying.
6: Okay, let's give um, Richard and Andrea a hand.
3: Let's ask God's blessing on the offering. Father, we thank you once again for everything that's taken place today. We thank you for what's gonna take place tonight and what has already taken place. We pray for this offering that whatever is given, you'd use it for your honor and to your glory and to win souls for Christ and to build your kingdom. And we thank you for everyone that's gonna give and for those that can't give, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're gonna help get done. Bless this night now and bless this offering in Jesus' name, amen.
7: everyone I just want to speak to you a little bit tonight about something I'm very passionate about and that's the missionary adoption program we started this way back in, I think it's about 2001 and we had a lot of missionaries adopted that time and before I forget I just want anybody who adopted a missionary then just to come and see me after the service or sometime during the week or next sunday or whatever and it's been so many new people that's come to the church i just want to explain a little bit what it's all about it's um the purpose i have some flyers out front if anybody wants to pick up one after the service and i'll just read basically what it says it's to be an active encourager in the lives of our missionaries by praying for them and regularly communicating with with them There's no financial obligations involved because all of that is done through the church. When we pledge our money, the money is sent out from the church office, so you don't have to worry about money. Um, And what do you do when you adopt a missionary? There's just some basic things I'd like to mention, some recommendations. First is to pray at least weekly for your missionary. And second, send them cards, like on the birthday or the anniversary, Christmas anniversaries, anything like that. Just send special cards, just to encourage them along the way. Because remember, they're out there in the field, they may be in Chad, they may be wherever, Argentina, missionaries all over the world. So we really need to keep them encouraged because like Andrea said, you get discouraged in the field because of finances and all sorts of things. So we need to keep them encouraged. And just a little note can mean something for them on a special day, you know. And so write them. You could write more often than I suggest once, once every three months. But, of course, with email access these days, you could be writing, you know, a lot. Now, I agree some of the missionaries may be so busy they may not be able to respond as quickly as you could write. But just keep in communication with them. And so it doesn't—it doesn't require a lot of effort on your part. You can ask the Lord just to show you how you would like to be cared for if you're out in the field. And um, just asking these questions, you'll be able to come up with some additional ways that you could support the missionary. But the main thing is to pray for them and to write them and just to encourage them as they're working day by day out in the field. And if you have any questions or suggestions you'd like to give to me or anything you'd like to ask of me, feel free to come and either give me a call. My phone number, home number is here in the paper. So just give me a call or see me around church sometime. Thanks a lot. I have at least 12 missionaries that I need um, some people to adopt, So, and I may have some more by the end of the week. So let's see if we can a- adopt at least these 12. Okay? Thank you.
6: Any questions or comments on the Adopt Missionary Program? We really encourage you to be involved. Uh, Any questions or comments? Okay, very good. It's a very good program, so we encourage you to to, uh, adopt these 12 missionaries that we have outstanding here right now. All right, time for the word, and uh, we are so pleased again to have Dr. O'Neill with us, and he's coming now to share the word. Let's give him a hand as he comes up.
8: Somebody looked at these four bottles and said, O'Neil's thirsty. <laughs> I won't drink them all. <clears throat> why is the gang huddled in the back? Hey, why don't you guys come forward so I can see a little bit up there? They're hiding from me. I think what happened was, Pastor, I scared them off this morning. <clears throat> the, um, the, the value as a missionary to be in correspondence with your home base and the Saints who sent you forward is um, a source of great spiritual encouragement and refreshment. I don't think I could express enough what it meant for uh, the Saints back home to be in the game with us. We lived in Asia and we live in a fairly affluent country, America. We were part of a church planning teams and Sterling and I battled with envy when our colleagues, home church pastor, family would come and visit them. In our 13 years on the field with our support team, we never got a single partner to come out and visit with us and see what God was doing in that part of the world. Not that they had to necessarily for sure, but I'll tell you, when you see your colleagues, partners coming and engaging on the ground with you, it, it leaves a deep impact on your heart. In our third church plant, we had this explosion that came out of the first Iraq war where the business leaders in our community in Tugbalat, in our capital city, they were wanting Bible studies. They were grappling with end times, believe it or not. Is this the end? And so I was invited into these studies. This thing exploded. We were four or five nights a week extended evenings and Bible studies with professionals in our city. The religious system was deeply threatened by that and they literally put people behind me. Motorcycle was our main means of transportation and I would be traveling around the city and the religious leadership of our, of our community literally followed me. I became public enemy number one almost persona non grata by their standards. I sent this letter to our, we had, I think at that time, 13 partner churches. And I asked them, would they take one day a week just for three months to fast and pray with us? Because the spiritual intensity was so strong, it was oppressive. It's it, just hard to appreciate that. In, in an atmosphere like this, the worship and the conversation, it's just so rich, This is refreshing. <clears throat> you go to the opposite of that. Have you ever been in a deeply oppressive environment? We were feeling it. And I asked our partners, would they set aside one day a week to fast and pray for three months? We need a breakthrough. Send a letter out to all of them. It's still in days when letters... <laughs> were used. No one responded. I figured, I know they're busy, probably put it on the bottom of the pile on the desk, and I understand that. I didn't ask a great deal of our partners. My home church. Sent it out again. Would you, for three months, set aside one day a week and fast and pray with us and send me a note, tell me what you have in mind. Of the 13, I got one pastor to respond back. I know they're busy, and i was so thankful for their broader partnership. They kept us on the field with their funding and so forth. But it is moments like this that it comes to the mind that these missionaries are more than financial slot machines. <clears throat> they have needs in the advance of the gospel. And Richard, I'm with you. Ministry, pastor, you can identify with this. The, the, the enemy, the evil one, if, the, if he doesn't do anything else, he wants to discourage leaders. I'll tell you, you you, you sit, but you sit in your study, or, or or you sit behind four walls long enough, and you begin to convince yourself out of the ministry. You need touch, you need contact, you need prayer, you need communion with God. I'll make my case in a moment for the link between spiritual formation and mission, and just a brief highlight of the text we'll be taking a look at tonight. So. When a brother battles with discouragement, that that begs a response from God's people. Let's state it this way, real quick, and then I'll get into the text. Let's say for the sake of argument, your son or your daughter is assigned by God to Turkey. Great land, 60 million people, a couple of thousand believers perhaps, and your daughter is put in jail because of faith and you get word mom what are you gonna do pastor I promise you I would promise you on a stack of Bibles that that mother would be the greatest prayer mobilizer this city has ever seen she would have everybody on their knees there would be all night vigils in this place begging God for a release Yes that's a proper response yeah well maybe they're not in prison physically but your sons and daughters here are in the midst of the battle and I just want to encourage all of you maybe that could be an outcome of this week's conference when, when we think about the church triumphant could the church triumphant being, be that the men and the women whom God assigns to stay home and by the way you're not off the hook Just because you stay home, that's not the issue. Oh, good, God didn't call me. I get to stay home. If you're here, it's because you're on assignment by the Master here. So then you engage them. You take up the cross seriously. at the home base. And you engage sons and daughters who have been sent forth. Maybe that could be an important outcome of this week where we ratchet up the, the the support team and the engagement of prayer and maybe the mobilization of more prayer efforts. Moms and dads, maybe your son or daughter isn't in prison, but the spiritual battle is there and it's strong nonetheless. And people deal with discouragement. Enter people of God. Prayer. Communication. <clears throat> here's my here's my other outcome. <clears throat> I can't appreciate this since I don't know you as a body. Uh, Let me ask you this. How many dads here have teenage sons or daughters? Would you stand, please? How many dads here, teenage? With every head bowed and every eye closed. (laughs) All right, how many have, uh, please stand just for a sec. How um, How many have sons or daughters in their 20s? You old man, boy. No, stay standing. That's okay. Please stay standing. Here's my thought. I wonder if an outcome of what we're about to talk about could be where you would invest in your son or daughter. Maybe your wife could do it with a daughter. Invest in a week. Take a son or a daughter and be part of the mentoring efforts at the camp. Camp Bahamas. That's what I've been thinking about. I saw the video last night and it leaves an impression on you, doesn't it, Pastor? It's just crucial. So I want you to be thinking about as an outcome of our, of our talk tonight, just briefly, how about maybe if God speaks to your heart and you could say, you know, as part of our commitment, we're, I'm going to take my son, I'm going to take my daughter, and we're going to invest a week and we're going to go help, pray, serve, and disciple. And wouldn't it be cool, Dads? If your son or your daughter saw you engaged in the task, what a better way to disciple your kids than them simply watching you advance the gospel with some serious sweat equity. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I better get into the text so you don't throw me out, and I promise I'd end on time tonight. It's like the Apostle Paul... When the Apostle Paul says, finally, brethren, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, right? He just keeps going. I appreciated Anthon's worship emphasis tonight. He took us to Psalm 97. I was talking to him this morning about where he was taking us in worship, which led me, in my mind, to Psalm 96. Uh, It's one of the great mission... Uh, passages, I think, in all of Scripture. For those of you who love to study the Bible, can I encourage you on this? There are five books. It's what's called five books in the Psalms. The third book has this primary emphasis between Psalm 90 and Psalm 101. If you'd like to read that sometime and just survey that, somehow the psalmist breaks through. There are portions of Isaiah There are portions of Genesis and there are portions of Psalms where the Old Testament writers get it. God has got to go global. And the psalmist gets it. So when you read through Psalm 90 through 101, sometimes just do a nice little survey for yourself. And we're going to take a look at Psalm 96, where this psalmist just explodes in one of the most winsome portions of Scripture. This portion of Scripture unnerves me. This writer has a relationship with God that is just not the norm in my world. I'm I'm co- I'm a cognitive guy, but th- this psalmist has a grasp and a love of Yahweh that is robust and winsome and deeply challenging. And so my question for us tonight is this. In light of of the call in this modern world that the church, just is triumphant, and later in the week we're going to be dealing with some of those challenges in the hard places. And by the way, brothers and sisters, we want to be there too, don't we? Don't outsource mission. Now, praise God if you can help others in the advance of the gospel, but don't outsource it. If, if it's going to require sacrifice in this great wave of the next advance of the gospel, and it's going to require some sacrifice, you, 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 you don't want to outsource that, do you? Somebody else, their kids, sacrifice for the gospel. May it be ours, too. So, my question for us tonight is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David to his brothers, Goliath. <laughs> and they, they're, they're wanting to go back, and they're wanting to watch, you know, uh, Sunday night news. <laughs> And David looks at him and says, is there not a cause? <clears throat> there's, there's, there's this movement in Psalm 96. There's dealing with this call, this, this winsome invitation to worship God. And we're going to look at it. It's beautiful how the psalmist weds these ideas together. And then from the call to the cause. In other words, he answers the question, why? Why this robust, winsome worship of Yahweh? Why are we invited into this? And he answers it two times. Now, I'm going I'm to sandwich the two in for the sake of time, the causes, and I'm going to conclude with a story. I, I, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit big picture, and forgive me, I'll, I'm going I'm to take it from big picture back down to little picture you at, at the end, so we'll get there. I, I want to make that presentation to us. Is there not a cause? Psalm 96. Let me read. psalm 96 ESV oh sing to the Lord a new song sing to the Lord who all the earth sing to the Lord what do we do bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day verse 3 declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples verse 4 for can you see it coming now if you like to, if you like to write in your bibles cause write it right there for he's now gonna give us the causes why why do this why engage all of this emotional energy in Yahweh for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised he is to be feared above all God's why verse 5 for all the gods of the peoples of, of the earth are worthless idols but the Lord made the heavens verse 6 splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his sanctuary Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Can you see it? The the psalmist is kind of getting pretty animated here. He's, he's, He's got his harp out. He's jamming. I dare say, I think they were dancing. We won't go there. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him. Who? All the earth. You see the psalmist, he's getting a hold of God. He's saying, you know, that God, nothing, nothing short of the entire earth, begs a response. It, it can no longer just be Israel. He is not the private domain of our nation. God must go global. And he gets it, doesn't he? Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. May it be so, dear Lord. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it up. Verse 12, let the field be jubilant and everything in it. Isn't that cool? One day we're going to see the entire inanimate cosmos singing praises to God. That's going to be pretty cool. Wait till that choir gets moving. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he judge, comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Here's what the psalmist is saying The king is coming. Announce it. The king is coming. Announce it. Is there not a cause? Join me in prayer. Father, in just these few moments, we're thinking about a triumphant church. What does that look like, God, in the modern world? We, we look at these pre-moderns, and this psalmist, he unnerves us, God. He unnerves me. I ask your help, oh, Father, as tonight, once again, we engage a difficult, challenging, but winsome force in the Scripture. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our son Shane, 21 now, when he was 16 my wife and I tried something with Shane Uh, Shane struggled with God Uh, Shane struggled with a God who controls Shane felt that God was jerking him around he hated this idea of the sovereignty of God part of it I think was a teenager's desire for autonomy independence from God another part of it was he saw a lot of pain and sometimes we didn't have answers for the pain that he saw it was brutal at times rape with friends and death with friends and heroin with friends. We couldn't answer all of that. Well, I read this book by Ernest Becker called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And we were just, and this this is for you men now with teenagers, we were just, Sterling and I were just wrestling with this idea of how do we help Shane gain a cause that's larger than life, that he could begin to invest his life in, his heart in, that this Jesus truly is worthy of his most passionate of responses. Becker said this, he wrote about the human need for a transcendent cause. Now this word transcendent, don't be afraid of it, it means something larger than life. Okay, that's what that idea, has a nice traction to it. He says this, man will lay down his life for his country, his society, his family. He will choose to throw himself on a grenade to save his comrades. He is capable of the highest generosity and self-sacrifice. But he has to feel and believe that what he is doing is truly heroic, timeless, and supremely meaningful. And I think a camp like this affords an opportunity to say kids are worth it. Teenagers are worth it. That kind of investment is worth it. To get our kids serving others sacrificially, but dare I say it? It's fun. And the gospel's advanced, and our kids begin to see this is heroic. I think Ernest Becker's all into something. And that's what we tried to do with Shane. We had this rite of passage evening with him, where we brought 15 of our friends who knew Shane well, and all of them wrote a letter to Shane. The girls, our girls, cooked this incredible steak for all of our guests. And then all of the men read their letter to Shane publicly that night. So Shane, Sterling, and I, these 15 men in Shane's life, a delicious steak, that doesn't hurt, get the guys there. And then each of them wrote a letter of encouragement and challenge to Shane. All of us thinking about this idea. Is there not a cause? And the psalmist answers that for us. He gives us some meat through which we can wrestle with and help our kids, especially our kids. I confess to you, how in the world, living in a city like this, can you ever compete with Atlantis? If Jesus isn't true. I can't compete with that. It's got way too much glitz. It's got way too much show. Oh, oh, I can talk about his, I'm sorry, sacrifice and suffering and pain and, 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 and depression and brokenness and failings. And yet in the midst of all of that, Jesus comes and he speaks wholeness into it. See, I can get behind that. Psalmist, what does he tell us to do? Here in Psalm 96, three times he says, sing, sing, sing. Who sings? The whole earth. The whole earth is invited into this amazing worship experience. And what the psalmist does winsomely, seamlessly, that I love, is he weds together this idea that the basis of our worship of God is the very same motivation for our witness. Did you see that? The singing to God, the basis of why we sing to God, is the very same basis of our proclamation. Praise, proclamation, singing, and witness, they're all wedded together seamlessly. It's as if the psalmist says, I have got to go collect an entire global choir for God, for that is what God deserves. So you have this winsome global witness. It's, it, it's full of vigor and excitement in this song. And we sing and we, we proclaim and it pulsates all of these ideas to God. Why? Because the king is coming. The king is coming. The psalmist is so excited about it, he's just got to tell people. And not only must he tell people, he's going to tell people in, in one of the most enthralling ways that a human being can communicate to another human being through song. Song is a powerful means. Now, you and I have a, a, a danger of a kind of a one-dimensional faith. And, and it's endemic to us as just as human beings. So let's, let's put it on the table for a second and put it there. When we think about singing, I don't know that the song quite got it right when I said, I, I will sing. I was thinking it ought to be we will sing. We sing because most of the time we as human beings see the faith through our lens and we almost make the storyline all about us and that God's design is to make me happy on earth this psalmist doesn't permit that he bids us come sing all the earth, sing all nations, sing all peoples, all peoples ascribe praise to God, sing to His glory, the beauty of His splendor. That's so important for us because we're, all, we're often in danger of thinking that the faith is fundamentally all about me. Now there are great blessings in the faith, aren't there? there are great blessings too following the Lord and he pours those blessings in. But the danger of the blessings is to think that that's God's job. The psalmist wants to break us out of that and help us to see that it is not all about us. Can I do a little test for you? Got a little, little, little verse association. I'm going to give you the first part of a verse and I want you to complete it for me. Okay? Can you do that? We Okay? All right, let's give it a shot. Here we go. I'm going to give you the first part of the verse. You complete it. Folk in the back, they're just doubtful. Let's give it a shot and see what we come up with, David. All right, ready? 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 Be still and know that... Ooh, that's good. Don't stop. Keep going. Two lonely voices, Pastor. Prophets crying in the wilderness. You know, here's this amazing song, Be Still and Know That I Am God, Psalm 4610. Do you realize through the, through the 2000s, there were seven major songs in the Christian industry written about Psalm 4610, and they stopped right there. And that's the danger, isn't it? Be still and know that I am God. It almost winds up becoming a feel-good verse, doesn't it? If I'm just still, I'm going to get to know God and I'm going to feel good about that. Do you know what the rest of the verse says? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be declared amongst all peoples. If I'm understanding what God is saying right, then my spiritual formation has a dramatic link to mission. That as I'm spending time with God, nurturing my soul with Him, I can't help but look out and say, This world is God's. That's the, a, a key component. And I look at all the spiritual formation literature out there, brothers and sisters. There is no link between me and my Jesus, and Jesus and the nations. That's wrong. This begs a response. Can you see it now? Do you, you ever get weary on mission for Jesus. Sing. Do you ever get weary proclaiming the Lord? Sing. Do you ever get wearied in, in, in the task of sacrificial service? Sing. That's what the psalmist does. Sing. Be still and know that I am God and I will be declared. So you see what's happening? In my spiritual formation moments with God, I'm getting quiet before God so that I might get to know Him. To what intent? For what cause so that? Beautiful purpose clause. By the way, the next time you hear some fine recording artist sing the first half of Psalm 4610, remember O'Neill is going ballistic. Now, brother, would you please finish the song? And would you get that puppy recorded? And I'm going to celebrate you all over North America. We're going to put that brother on the road. We better move on. Let me get to a second thought here. All right, let's 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 briefly talk about why. Why? Let's go back to the passage. Let me look again with you. Psalm 46, verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works amongst all the peoples, for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples of the world are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Declare his glory. Why? The king is coming. That's the point of the passage. Declare his glory. It's got to be announced. It's got to be made known. The king's coming. The king's coming back. And boy, that's worth dancing for. Go and tell, announce, declare his glory. His salvation, his glory, his deeds, his greatness, He's creator. That's all within view of the psalmist. All of those things are the Lord's. And because of all of those amazing attributes of God, we've got to sing. We've got to declare. We've got to announce. We've got to proclaim. We've got to witness. We've got to be on mission. And he weds them together beautifully. His beauty captivates his people. The psalmist sees it and he announces it. And with Psalm, Isaiah 33, 17, we would, we would say this, Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. In the Old Testament, all sense of beauty is rooted in the personal character of God. And what I love about this psalmist... And Psalm 96 is he does this. He takes the gospel and makes it beautiful. We've got this beautiful gospel. The beauty of our great gospel. The gospel then is rooted in a personal God, a God whose beauty is seen in his character, and the gospel is then rooted in a person. Why is this important? Well, from time to time, we need to work ourselves back to Jesus in the midst of all of our studies, in the midst of all of our understanding of the Christian faith, in the midst of all of our duties and demands, and they're important. My my danger in the Christian faith is to take the truth of God and make it information and systems. I love knowledge. I love systems. And and you know what my danger is? In the midst of my preparations for all of my speaking and whatnot, is I I treat Jesus as information. And this psalmist just doesn't permit that. He breaks out and and we see this, this beauty, this great God, He's greatly to be praised. And then, as this gospel is rooted in the beauty of God, it's also rooted in the King of Kings, this great King who is going to be coming back. And He's coming back, so go announce it to the peoples. Now, here's what happens. Whenever God, whenever God, whenever Yahweh invades another culture, mark it down, brothers and sisters, there is always a clash. There is always going to be a clash, and the psalmist tells us for it, right here, look in verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are what? Worthless idols. And the psalmist plays these two words against each other. Elohim is God in this passage. This this God of the Old Testament is the one true God. He's the exclusive God, and there are no runner-ups and and I don't know where you are on this coming out on a Sunday night I would assume this would be a given for you but not all paths lead to God that cultural doctrine has invaded my homeland and my people back home are believing that more and more and Elohim doesn't permit that and here's what Elohim does then he looks at Elalim these gods these worthless gods the gods here of the peoples are worthless idols and this this word for idols is the plural of zero in essence zero cubed look at the idols of the world look at any system a human being creates for worship for idolization and God looks at that and says that zero cubed oftentimes throughout the Old Testament the word is translated worthless God looks at those. Whenever Yahweh invades any culture, even ours here, a clash takes place. God looks in on that and He announces to the people, those gods that you worship are worthless. Why is this important? Every culture worships. You realize that? Every culture of the world worships. Mankind is wired to worship. Now, At the practical level, why is that important? This law hit me years ago, both when we were serving in Asia, and I've been privileged to travel around a bit. Whenever whenever Yahweh is not worshipped, mark it down. I want to underscore this always. Mankind is always devalued. And even sometimes when Yahweh is worshipped, believers treat other human beings poorly. But we need Yahweh to see the beauty, not only of the gospel, but the inherent dignity that Jesus gives human beings. We've got to worship God. We treat one another worthlessly. Without Yahweh, our motives, our agendas are rife with personal ambition and intentions. We need Yahweh to help us break through. And so this cause demands a response. It's this winsome presentation of this great and glorious God who's got to be announced to all peoples. An invitation is given. Declare it. Make it known. Why? Because people worship something. And when they're not worshiping something called Yahweh, we know that what they are worshiping is called zero cubed. Worthless times worthless times worthless equals worthless, worthless, worthless. Enter Jesus to bring redemption, healing, wholeness, reconciliation. And then the psalmist can't contain himself. He says, the Lord reigns, he's coming back. And when he comes, he will rule his people With righteous judgments. It's going to be a glorious day. And so here's the setting. Big picture, and then I'll bring it down to you specifically. The twentieth century entered with mankind in the West, really enamored with himself. In the West, God was slowly being replaced by something called, with a capital R, reason. Man came to the conclusion that human betterment is possible without God. And, based upon how Christians have treated themselves in history against one another, maybe we'd better be better off without Christians. So we entered the 20th century with this sense of human they they, humans were intoxicated with themselves that we could solve the world's problems by reason alone without faith then came the great war to end all wars they didn't call it world war one initially why (laughs) they thought it would be the last (laughs) and what happened world war one came and it began to slowly destroy this sense of confidence that human beings had in reason. And then came World War II. And it destroyed all sense of the West's confidence in reason. And man began to move into despair, into what's called from the modern world to the postmodern world. A scene takes place. In France, in Paris, it's right after the war. The French intellectuals are sipping on their wine and their coffee in their despair. They looked around and they realized that they had invested years of their study and their efforts to train their generations of students in reason and reason let them down. So they looked this way and they looked that way. But they did not look up. And you know what they chose? They chose Marxism as the place where they would root their faith and their belief systems. Innocent in and of itself until a colony of France imports four of their finest. Let's call the country Cambodia. It's in the 1950s. The French begin to import in the youngest minds of their colonies and they bring four from Cambodia. The story is told that of the four one wrote a paper on the radical transformation of their homeland based upon an agrarian model of the 13th century when Cambodia had prominence throughout Indochina. They wanted to take Cambodia back to the 13th century. That paper was celebrated by his professors, and by the school, and by the Marxists. It's an idea, simple enough, until someone takes it back to the homeland. Those four young men leave France with that idea, and they go back to Cambodia. One of them, his name was Pol Pot. He took... That strategy. In 1975, he came to power in Cambodia, and he executed the vision. And I often smile. I've been to Cambodia. I have been to Tuol Sleng, Prison 21, where they took all the intellectuals under Pol Pot, and they persecuted and and uh, and executed them. And what humors me is every piece of literature you see on Cambodia, in the Pol Pot regime, they say this, somewhere between 2 and 3 million people died. <laughs> That's a pretty large swing. Was it 2 million or 3 million? Well, the problem is they, they keep finding these killing fields with graves of skulls. Pol Pot executed his plan. My, my son was with me. I was in Cambodia a couple of years ago, and I was at the museum. And we went through each of the rooms. Each room was literally a creative torture chamber as to how a human mind can conceive of ways to torture another human being just short of death. I, I was a mess. I went outside of the buildings. I, I was alone for a while. I took my son back to our hosts, and I went back. And I sat there and I wept and I cried to God. And I said, oh God, what happens if Pol Pot could have sat under Jonathan Edwards? What if he could have sat under Augustine? What if he could have sat under Martin Luther? What if he could have sat under John Calvin? And a great awakening could have come to Cambodia rather than the Killing Fields. Pol Pot Didn't understand that what he was worshiping, God calls worthless, times worthless, times worthless, but the human beings were devastated. Now, that's why I say, Dads, you have a potential, Martin Luther, in your home. You have a potential, Jonathan Edwards, in your home. You have a potential. And I'm not being facetious when I say this. You have a potential, Pastor Lee, in your home. This psalmist begs a response, doesn't it? It's winsome. Declare, announce, ascribe, sing, proclaim for God in the beauty of his splendor bids us come worship. What happens when that happens? When that takes place, our hearts explode in growth. William Wilberforce from yesteryear calls it an enlargement of the heart for things toward God. Now, this is why I'd like to say, dads, if you can't go to the camp, figure out then another way where you could take your kids on a cause that's larger than life and it requires sacrifice and let your kids see you for the glory of God laboring to help others and that they see you living out a gospel of beauty with deep joy as you serve another Mentor these kids. Come alongside of a movement that's in your land. And then from time to time go on the side of the building and then beg God. No more Pol Pot's God. But we know they're they're coming yet. We know the end of the story and it's going to be hideous. But we could be part of the solution too, couldn't we? Maybe some of our kids would be the ones God would raise up to be that voice of beauty to announce to the peoples of the world our God reigns now brothers and sisters that's church triumphant that's that's the announcement of a beautiful gospel that says he is worthy is he brothers and sisters may it be so Dads, this one was for you tonight. And then for all of you, could I encourage you to join our sister? I want to I see before this week's out, I want every one of you, you hear me? Ah. Every one of you, get the Sister Una, sign up, come alongside of your missionaries, be a friend, blow fresh wind into their sails, especially at their darkest moments. And then you can say, I was there at the moments that they needed us. And I'll tell you what, I promise you, your missionary will rise up And call you blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are beautiful. You are beautiful beyond description. All of these songs that we sing. And yet, it just seems, Lord, that they they don't even just do justice. You are beautiful. And we're invited to declare you, to sing you to sing of your glorious praise is to ascribe praise to you to join in the inanimate elements of the cosmos that demand that they too in sing praises to you and one day you will come to rule and reign until that day Lord reign in our midst as we are involved in mission in the advance of the gospel the king is coming is there not a cause father we would say unanimously as your people tonight, the answer is yes, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
2: Thank you, Dr. O'Neill. Let's stand together as we sing our theme song, Hallelujah to the Lamb. What a vision that Pastor Brother O'Neill has given us again of what the psalmist declares, that the whole earth is going to be reigned by this this majestic God that we serve, amen? And so that's what we are about, proclaiming that He is worthy of all the praise. All the nations will worship Him.
0: Lord, I stand in the midst of a multitude. those from every tribe and tongue we are your people redeemed by your blood rescued from death by your love there are no words good enough to thank you
1: there are no words to
0: express my praise We'll lift up our voice and sing from our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our strength. And He reigns. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah, hallelujah, by the blood of Christ we stand. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land, giving glory, giving honor. Giving praise unto the Lamb Hallelujah! Hallelujah! By the blood of Christ we stand. Every song, every tribe, every people, every land, giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto the Lamb of God. Giving praise, giving praise unto the Lamb of God. He's worthy. Giving praise. Unto